$250 million. That's the size of Verico's real estate portfolio, and Terrence Doyle is its founder. So how did he go from a single-family investor to being one of Million Acres' top seven multifamily influencers in the industry? And how did he scale his multifamily business to reach the level of success he's at today? We're diving into all of this and more. How did partly growing up in Colombia in your childhood, how did that impact your entrepreneurial mindset? Yeah. Yeah, well, first of all, I'm really, uh, you know, one of the things that attracted me to you and your brothers was that you guys were in, you know, your family was from Guatemala, right? And I've just felt mm -hmm. like, you know, from where my family comes from, Bogota, Colombia, where your family and your mom's uh, upbringing and her background, you know, it's just very unique, you know, Central and South America, mostly very poor um, third world countries with a lot of corruption and not a lot of opportunity, right? And so uh, growing up there, right? I mean, my first trip there was when I was three with my mom and then five, and then I went every single year up until high school. And then I started going again after after high school during college. And I was very, very close with my grandfather, uh, who was an entrepreneur. Uh, he had a bunch of different businesses, but the best business that he had uh, was owning real estate. You know, he owned apartments around the city and we would go and pick up rent and he would meet contractors if they were turning units. Uh, he would meet with his attorney every week. And so, you know, I, I just think that, you know, seeing a third world country, right? Uh, and for those of you that have not been to a third world country that are listening, I definitely encourage you to go. Go to a third world country in Central and South America and see what it's like. See the hospitality, see the warmth of the people, the humility, the work ethic, um, and then talk to people about what they're doing and what they make and try and get a gauge for, you know, inflation and the conversion rate to dollars. And then you can start to do the math about, man, these people are basically living on a couple hundred dollars a month and they're happy. They're full of joy. They're content. Uh, and they have a smile on their face and they're thankful, right? And so I think growing up and seeing that kind of poverty, but then seeing people's joy and talking to my cousins and my family members about, you know, how many degrees they would need to get just to get a job of 30, 40,000 US dollars a year, which is considered like, you know, high end there at a college. And, uh, you know, just the lack of opportunity. I remember just even to get a rental car at the airport was several hour process. Uh, just, you know, certain things that we take for granted in our country of being able to start a business, right? If you want to start a business in Colombia, you're talking months and months and weeks of, you know, legal paperwork and getting things approved by the government. And, um, and it's just, there's not that access to liquidity and opportunity. You know, Absolutely. you can't go get a bank loan. There's no SBA. There's no SBA in Colombia, right? They're not going to back you if you have a, a, an idea uh, that you want, you need to get funded for. Uh, they're not going to back you if you want to go buy real estate. If you want to go get a bank loan, you're talking 15, 16% interest, you know, from a bank and they'll lend maybe 50%, maybe. Uh, so, you know, I just think, you know, the more I got to know the country and how the economics work, how the money works, um, you know, the more I was just like, man, we live in such an amazing country and we have such an amazing, incredible opportunity here. And I would be foolish, you know, not to take advantage of that. So I think first of all, it's just perspective and gratitude and, um, of what we have. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really the cornerstone and the foundation uh, for, you know, my entrepreneurial journey and my experience, you know, as, you know, starting businesses in college. That's awesome. My brothers and I, when we first went to Guatemala, I remember that was like our catalyst for starting our real estate journey. And so I love how there's a parallel there. And, and you mentioned that I didn't, I didn't know you had a family member who was also in real estate, like before you started your own journey. Can you provide some light on how you got into real estate investing, particularly in multifamily? Yeah. 
Well, you know, I'd never, my grandfather was really sharp, but he never like really encouraged me to get into real estate. It was just, you know, looking back now, I can connect the dots and see that that was really the backbone of everything he did. He always had cash flow. He always had money when other people didn't because he owned uh, rental properties. And I think at one point, maybe he had 20 or 30 different condos, apartments, or homes, you know, around, you know, Bogota. You know, and Bogota is pretty big, but if you think about New York City, just an unorganized third part, third world version of, of New York is really what, you know, yeah. Bogota is. Um, so, you know, my first, you know, my first experience in real estate was uh, buying single family homes at the auction or the public trustee sale in 2008 during the Great Recession. So, you know, I had made a couple of dollars from a business. I started in college with some buddies and another buddy came to me and I was basically one of his first investors. And we were buying houses back then for fifty, sixty thousand dollars. Those houses today are worth five, six, seven hundred thousand dollars in Denver. And that was my first experience. Uh, we did five, six, seven hundred flips over six years. And then in 2013, I was essentially like, "There's got to be a better way to build wealth than buying, renovating, selling, buying, renovating, selling, and then paying taxes at the end of the year." And that, that, uh, you know, hamster wheel of uh, of you know the process to buy, renovate, and sell, and just all the work, all the risk, uh, all of the wasted money on all the transactions, all the frictional cost, and uh, you know all the money you pay the government. You know every time you sell a property inside of 100 days or inside of a, a 365 days. So that's when I started to buy fourplexes, and you know the first multifamily properties we bought were fourplexes and eightplexes around Denver, and we would buy them and do the same process: renovate. You know, so we, you know, because I spoke fluent Spanish, we had a, you know, a cruise that did, you know, the flooring, the paint, the cabinets, the tile. And, you know, so we were very comfortable turning units with construction. And, you know, then we were able to rent them up. We figured out how to lease. And then we could either, we had the option with the cash flow to either refinance or sell. And then we would take that money. Most of the times we were doubling the money every eight to 12 months. And we'd take that money and go buy a property four times as big in Des Moines. So we would sell a 10 unit in Denver and go buy a 40 or 50 unit in Des Moines, Iowa, which is where my brother and my dad and my family, you know, was in the United States. So that was kind of our first journey. And, uh, you know, from there, we just continued to refine and improve that process and, you know, tried to add as many zeros as we could to the transactions. I love that, man. That's awesome. And I, I can relate to like that flipping uh, story where like, you were very transactional for us. We were wholesaling. So like, I'm not, it's not the same thing, but it's very transactional. Like you're on the hamster wheel. You're essentially creating a job for yourself. Uh, whereas with real estate, like the reason we got into it was the passive side, the, the world wealth building side of it, which we lost sight of, but we eventually found, found ourselves on the right path towards multifamily. And to kind of like fast forward to the present, I know you've accomplished a lot of great things. My brothers and I had the opportunity to go and visit, visit your office in person. Um, it was awesome to see like your team, the culture, and really just like you're one of the first time you're one of the first multifamily investors we've actually met and seen for ourselves like what it what it actually can look like in person instead of like what we see online or social media and things like that so that was really awesome so the first question i want to dive into in this whole um, like a theme of scaling a multifamily business particularly in your in your scenario right now um what are some skills that you found extremely useful uh, as a leader of a, a business and an operation at the size of of yours right now you know, I think the first thing, you know, Kermit, that's an excellent question is you, you know, to lead people, you have to, you have to have experience doing the job. Right. And so I think what's, you know, what really helped me was I had managed construction for 
eight to 10 years before I hired someone to help me manage construction. So I, I knew, you know, that things need to be in writing. I knew you had to inspect every single day. I knew to be on a job site every day. I knew you had to, you know, how to order materials to lessen uh, the ability for people to steal from you. Um, you know, I, I had negotiated hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of contracts, right? So now when I bring someone on to help me with transaction management, we know the systems and process that need to happen. Um, you know, I had dealt with banks, you know, for a long time. And, uh, you know, we had managed thousands of units, you know, in rentals, right? So then that allowed us the ability to train people on how to come onto our property management team. And so I think in order to lead people, you have to have done the job yourself and then to be able to train and show them how you want it done with your secret sauce, with your advantage, right? I mean, real estate's amazing because there's so many different ways to skin the cat and there's all these nuances and there's these systems and process that can help add efficiencies and give a real advantage, right? And so what you saw when you came to Denver was just, you know, thousands of transactions, thousands of units turned and things, you know, the, the systems refined over 10, 12, 13 years, right? Mm -hmm. And so now you can see, you know, that machine at scale and, and we still are refining the process. I mean, I think one of the amazing things about being an entrepreneur is you're, you're consistently failing every single week, every day, every month to get to the right answer. Right. And then you get to a right answer and then you improve that answer. Right. Or you improve that process. And so, you know, I just think real estate, entrepreneurship, running a business, leading people is all about iterating, you know, at speed to figure out how to do things better, more efficiently uh, so you can continue to drive better returns you know, for your investors. But, you know, what's yeah. given my brother and I the ability to build the platform that you guys saw uh, is that, you know, we've done it ourselves for so many years. And so we're able to bring on people to help us build that and to add on and to improve, you know, the, the systems and process that him and I have refined, you know, over the course of the last decade, decade and a half. So I think to lead really the punchline is you have to have done and have ex real experience. Yeah. I love that, man. And when you were first starting out to like scale your business, do you remember if there was a major, any major mistakes or like you said, there was multiple failures as you learn on the go almost, I mean, like rinse and repeat, what were some of those initial mistakes you made? And what can maybe someone in my shoes who is starting uh, to, let's say, want to scale in the near future, what mistakes should I avoid? Yeah, I mean, you know, mistakes, you know, the, the real thing that you learn the most when you lose money, right? So when we would, let's say we would pay a contractor and we didn't, um, we didn't verify the order, the right materials, or we didn't go to the job site and check that the materials were there, right? Or we didn't verify the quality of the subfloor or the tile or the flooring or the cabinets. And then you get in, a tenant moves in and, you know, the floors are squeaking, uh, you know, the, the, the dishwasher's flooding because the tubes weren't connected. You know, all of those things, all the, all the money lost from either tenants or construction not being done correctly, all of that is what, how we learned, right? And so I think, you know, when you want to do something really well, you have to, you have to figure out, you know, where are you exposed, right? And where are you going to lose money? And so that's where we lost money. We lost money on not doing due diligence correctly, right? Not hiring the right inspectors, trying to skip steps, trying to save money, right? And now we hire the same inspector in Des Moines and Denver for every job, every property, regardless of how well we think we know the property, the neighborhood, right? Not being very thorough on our rent comps, right? Of just thinking, oh, we, we own down the street. So now we know this block you know, and not, you know, doing a deep dive and maybe secret shopping, um, you know, maybe trusting a bank, right. And trusting that, you know, oh, we're going to close on time. And then the bank being like, oh, we're not going to close. And, and then not being able to get the extension. And now that costs us money. Now we have to pay the seller more money. So just all of these, you know, you know, there's so many things that come up from property management, 
construction to asset manage to, to underwriting to the due diligence to not doing the right environmental not checking the sewer line not checking the roof uh not testing for mold right not, not testing for asbestos you know the list of things that we failed at and learned that have cost us money you know i think one of the most painful ones was third party you know we lost yeah, i remember we had maybe a couple hundred units ourselves with no investors or uh, no lps we just had mm -hmm. partners we had like two partners on the deal and uh, on our portfolio. And, you know, the third party property manager was, uh, you know, over billing us for plumbing, right? He was just picking up the phone, calling like the most expensive plumber in the market. And we weren't checking that, or he wasn't running background checks. And so people were getting in that were, you know, criminals or drug dealers. And we had high crime at properties or we had a lot of evictions, right? And so by seeing all the lost rent and all the, you know, over budget, you know, um, maintenance, invoices every month, you know, that's what drove us to, okay, we got to get out of third party. And I think, you know, going through two or three or four third party property managers forced us to like, okay, if we want to own real estate and we really want to be operators, we better just learn ourselves and we better yeah. just figure out from A to Z, how to manage properties, how to screen tenants, how to do maintenance the right way, um, how to have customer service, you know, at our properties. And so, you know, just from losing money at every step along the way is what forced us to learn. And, you know, just getting, you know, I think you get, um, you know, punched in the face enough times and to where you're like, all right, I don't want to do that anymore. I better figure it out. And that's yeah. how we got to the point, you know, where we're at. No, I love that, man. And it's clear that it's worked for you um, now to kind of like back it up a little bit. So let's say you guys were you know, obviously you had a success up to a certain point where you decided, all right, it's time to start hiring. And I would love to know, like, what was that first hire? And I guess, how did you know it was time to make that hire? Well, when we, in 2019, I switched, you know, my, my business partner at the time and he owned 25% of the business. And we, let's say we had five or 600 units or something like that, maybe a hundred million in real estate. I don't, something like that. He, he basically wanted to retire. He was like, Hey, why don't you buy me out? And up until that point, we maybe had one or two employees. We had a bookkeeper and then someone that collected rent for us and everything else was just contracted out. And, you know, so when he wanted to basically retire, I was forced to say, okay, I need to hire a team now if I want to grow. And, you know, the most important, the critical thing was I needed someone to help me underwrite deals, right? So it's like, okay, if I want to do deals, I need someone to help me underwrite deals. I need someone to help me do the taxes, do the accounting. I need someone to help me, you know, build property management, right? And so I just started with, okay, what do I need? What's the most important thing I'm going to need to do a, de to do a deal, right? To buy, if I want to buy a 50 unit apartment building in Denver, what do I need to do it? You know? And so I started out with like a hybrid model of property management where I had someone else that was um, collecting rent and we would do all the leasing. And then I was like, okay, I'll, we'll do all the leasing and all the maintenance. And then I was like, okay, we'll do the late, the maintenance, the leasing and the rent collections. Right. And uh, you know, so I think you just start with what's my biggest need. If I, if I want to close this deal and do this deal and raise capital from LPs, you know, what do I need? I need someone to help me underwrite the deal. I need an attorney, right? That's not going to be on staff. So um, I need someone to do, you know, help me with reporting. And uh, so I just reverse engineered by what, what do I need? What do I need? If I'm going to raise capital from other people, what do I need to be able to deliver uh, on the results that are expected? And that I'm, you know, I am, uh, um, I'm communicating to people that I need to fulfill, right? So I think that's really it is I start, you know, I started with what do I need? in order to fulfill this obligation to my investors. Yeah. Earlier, you mentioned how systems and processes have really helped you guys like reach the scale you're at right now. And I know just the business 101, like that's one of the 
essential aspects of like being able to scale a sustainable business. Can you provide some light on like what a major system or process that you have in your business today that really makes it possible for you guys to run at like the efficiency and scale you're at right now? Well, I think, you know, naturally I'm not very system oriented, right? I'm an entrepreneur. I move really fast. I solve problems at scale. You know, I'm thinking kind of up in the clouds, high level. I'm always looking to figure out how we can acquire more units and improve, you know, NOI, um, you know, and lower construction budgets and and things like that. But, you know, myself with the right people that are system and process oriented has really been the key. And then just being very intentional on making sure that we have documentation around every aspect of the business, right? So acquisitions, how does it work A to Z? Underwriting, how does it work A to Z? How does construction work A to Z? What's the, what's the, what's the contract look like? What are the systems that we take? What are the processes we take to ensure that quality is getting done, to ensure that we're on, on budget? Same thing with property management. How do you screen a tenant? How do you do maintenance? How do maintenance calls? What's the maintenance log? So making sure that every step of the business, there's a process for that's written and documented so that way when we need to hire and train new people, there's something that's written, right? And so I think just having people on the team that own that uh, piece of the business of making sure everything's documented, everything is written. And, uh, you know, that's really, really key. I think, you know, one of the things that I love about Gary Vee or Alex Hermosi or some of these great guys that are out there creating content around being an entrepreneur is you have to recognize your strength, you know, your strengths, you know, what are the things that I do great, better than anybody? And then what are the things that I'm not good at and hire people that are good at the things I'm not? And so I think coming from sports, that's been maybe one of my strengths is just understanding, hey, I'm really good at dribbling and shooting, but I'm not good at rebounding and defense. So let me hire people that are great defenders, great at rebounding and amazing shot blockers. And we put that together and you have a really good nucleus. And so I think for young entrepreneurs out there, especially in real estate, the key is recognize what you're good at. And if you don't know, ask three people that are close to you, hey, tell me my strengths, tell me my weaknesses and put a list together and go hire people that are strong in the areas that you're weak. And I think that's number one for hiring and for systems and process. Yeah, I man, that, that's awesome advice. I appreciate you sharing that. And I know like with, as you scale a business, you're likely to encounter a lot of growing pains. So I would love to get some insight into, are you experiencing any growing pains at the moment? Or like, where are you, would you say are your weakest uh, right now in your business? And what are you doing to like be proactive with that and uh, resolve the issues there? Yeah, I think anytime you're ambitious and growing and scaling, you're going to have growing pains, right? Because, you know, it's like, it's the example is, let's say you're building a building, right? And you're constantly like changing the pieces and changing the materials. And so there's bound to be whenever you're trying to scale something quickly uh, and build and improve it, there's going to be, there's going to be growing pains and learning curves. And there's going to be times that are tough, right? My thought is if you're not, if you're not, uh, if you're not challenged, you're not really pushing yourself, right? If you're not, if there's not growing pains, you're not really pushing yourself. There always should be a healthy amount of growing pains. Uh, last question before we get into our speed round. You're, I know you're big on culture and I know how, what, uh, how much of a role culture would play in making sure that you're able to sustain like a really good environment in the workplace, also in the vision that you're aiming to build for your business. So what is culture at your company and how have you worked to maintain it, but also like decide what that is? Because I feel like it's a very abstract concept. Yeah. That's a, you know, that's a million dollar question. I didn't even have a culture prior to hiring people in 2020. And, you know, one of the key hires who's now my partner, Philip Christ, came over from Lennar Multifamily in Chicago. And his first question to me when he started was, what's the culture here? And I was like, hey, dude, I need you to build this. I need you to do this. Like, we need to go build a business. And he really wanted to identify culture, right? And it was really brilliant. And looking back, it's something that I wish I had thought of sooner. 
right? But again, not my strength, not the way my brain works. My brain thinks about buying deals, renovating, stabilizing, and operating and executing the business plan. And, uh, you know, just thinking about slowing down and like, hey, what are the people you want here? What does the culture need to be, right? And then that's the filter by which we interview every person, right? And so really getting me to think and slow down and say, hey, what do I believe in? What are the what are my core principles that that help me be a college athlete that helped me start multiple businesses in college and then start doing real estate in 2008 and has you know led me you know to the ability to build you know what we have you know what are the what are the principles by which subconsciously I think everyone else has and I think the thing about culture and most entrepreneurs is you know most of the things that come easy to you and that are you know subconsciously you believe in that's really where you need to start and so for me it was like you know scrappy. You know, I think coming from a third world country, being an immigrant, you know, just being entrepreneurial, never having a, a real like W-2 job was like, in order to make it, you have to be incredibly scrappy and resourceful, right? You know, the second one is hustle. You know, you've got to hustle. You've got to be willing to like, and to me, hustle is just like outwork uh, longer, harder and go farther than other people, right? And so the other thing is like teamwork, right? I come from a sports background, so team. Uh, team is really important. Humility, right? Like I want to work around people that are humble. Like even though, uh, you know, all of the things that we may have accomplished, you know, you know, over the last 15 years, it's like, I always want to be learning and I want to always want to have the, uh, the idea and the mentality, like I can learn from everybody, right? So humility and I can make a mistake. And so I want to be, I want to surround myself with people that feel the same way. And then it's family, right? It's family. It's like, I want to be able to have transparent conversations. You work with your brothers, right? And to be able to work with your brothers, it's amazing because you can always have a transparent conversation. Hey, awesome. Kenneth, I need you to do this. Hey, I don't think you're picking up the, you know, I don't think you're, I don't think you're applying yourself this week. I need you to go harder. I need you to get this for me. Uh, or, Hey, help me understand this. Tell me why you're thinking this or tell me why you're doing this. And so just having very transparent, vulnerable, honest conversations, I think is family. And so being able to identify what I believe in, and then I want other people to agree on with me and then being able to articulate that to people when we're interviewing them, I think it's so important because some people may be like, hey, I don't want to work that hard. I don't want to be scrappy or I don't want to have really honest conversations. I don't want to be held accountable, you know, like a family member or like a teammate. And so being able to be very clear about that, I think is so important and really a fundamental piece, you know, when building a business and hiring people. Love that, man. Thanks for sharing. Terrence, it is time for our speed round. Are you ready? I'm I'm extremely ready. I've been waiting. I've been waiting all day for this. <laughs> awesome. Let's do it. All right. Number one, what is your long-term vision for your business? Your long-term vision, you know, there's a couple companies that I want to model ourselves after. You know, one of them is in, uh, you know, right up the road from us, maybe 30 miles in Johnstown called Monarch. You know, Monarch's been doing the multifamily business for maybe 20, 30 years. They've got some employees that have been there for 30 years and he, they've probably made over 35 millionaires inside of their company. And they've consistently been making distributions and had like incredible exits. And so, you know, I look at I look at Monarch, I look at BH Properties, uh, Harry Bookie that's from Des Moines, Iowa. And I look at those guys and I say, man, I want to build something like that, where we not only do we make investors a lot of money, but we help employees become incredibly successful. What is one piece of advice you'd want someone in our audience to take away from today's episode about scaling a real estate business? You know, I think the key is action. You know, the more and more I meet you know, young people like yourself and your brothers, you know, and the thing that I'm drawn to and that I think that have in common, right? People that are successful have in common is they take action, right? You want to have that delicate balance of, I want to do proper due diligence. I don't want to be ignorant or negligent, but I want to, I want to balance that with taking action. 
Because I think so many people in our country are obsessed with like getting all this data and research, but not taking action. And I think the number one, uh, you know, I think the number one takeaway for everyone is you got to take action if you want to if reach your dreams and accomplish your goals. Awesome. Thanks so much for your time today, Terrence. If anyone in our audience wants to learn more about you, follow you on your journey, or just check you out on social media, where can they go to find out more? You know, my Instagram, I'm like you guys, we document a lot of things. So at Terrence Doyle on Instagram, uh, at Terrence Doyle on LinkedIn, and then, you know, the Value Add Dad channel on YouTube, right? We're building a lot of content. We're putting clips of the Multifamily Mentor Show on on that YouTube channel. And I think those are the uh, three ways to, you know, follow us and to learn. Perfect. Thanks again for being here. I really appreciate it. And thanks everyone for tuning in today to The Real Estate Monopoly. Let's get out there and take action. Have a great rest of your day, guys.